We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. So let me just say this to you. Um, my troops tend to uh, tease me often. Uh, they'll call me a boomer without any delay. Like they will absolutely talk about my age when I do certain things, like put hashtags inside of text messages. Uh, I may say this is funny or hashtag this is funny or hashtag message or something like that. And they're like, you are such a boomer. You don't need... For me, it's like I'm just stressing something in our text exchange, Jay. So do you do stuff like that? Like, do you? Yeah. Do you get categorized as being old every once in a while? I mean, by my children, yes, of course. Everything I I do is old and unhip and not cool. And no one's called me a boomer because they know that will cost them dearly. Oh, so you feel so you feel about the boomer word the way that I feel about grandpa? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'll get you. Yep. They have to call me abuelo. Like <laughs> I told him, I said, if I hear grandpa come out of anybody's mouth, tell him we're going to move some furniture. I, I forget which comedian said it's going to be some furniture moving. I think it was Bernie Mac. Uh, but it will be some furniture moving up in this joint if I hear anybody call me grandpa. So the reason why I ask is because um, sometimes it's okay for us to be old. Um, I think it grounds us in a particular type of way. And so I'm over here going through some boxes. You know the situation. So I'm unboxing and going through some things. And we're not on video, but I'm showing you what I'm holding up. So this piece of paper was wrapped around some artwork. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny, Jay. And I wasn't talking to you at the time. I was talking to Nick, but I said, it would be amazing for us to just stop for a moment and let's see what was happening when we wrapped that artwork back in 2004. This paper is um, July 16, 2004. And here's what's beautiful. Our episode drops on Thursday. So we're going to do hashtag throwback Thursday. (laughs) July 16, 2004 front page of the Baltimore Sun, it says right here in the middle, right in the middle, Jay, women workers in the U.S. have bias in common. Discrimination lawsuits highlight how little their complaints differ from the boardroom to the stockroom. July 16, 2004, nearly 20 years ago. Now, I know some people will say, well, Torin, that's no big revelation. It's not. But it is a moment for all of our listeners, as well as Julie and I, to just reflect on 
when somebody says, why do you do this work? Well, because you all don't seem to want to change. You all, for whatever reason, just don't want to seem to be better or, or, or to say it a different way. Let me be positive. Not enough of us have changed. We've certainly had some folks that change and doing some incredible things in their workplaces. But 20 years ago, and, and, and I'm not even going to go into the whole thing for Throwback Thursday. It was just really amazing. And, and here's what's really funny. I unwrapped like five pieces of art. And this was the only one that I picked up. The other ones I had balled up and just threw them on the paper, threw them on the floor. This one, I was like, you know, it'd be cool for us to just see. Well, look at here. Yeah, the gods must have called to you, like beckoned you to it. And speaking of the the Baltimore sun, um, I just want to say happy uh, free Anand Syed day to those who celebrate, like myself, a Baltimore kid who's been in jail for 23 years, uh, who was released and had his... uh, his conviction vacated uh, just on Monday this week. Uh, yeah. Story, if you haven't followed along, um, definitely worth catching up. But just from a moment in history for this podcast, when someone is listening to it in 20 years, that will be celebrated at non today. Yeah, yeah. Did, had you, had you, or were you aware of his story? I, I got to admit, I was not aware of his story. I, I probably heard it in passing, but I I didn't have any intimate familiarity. So when the announcement came out earlier this week, you know, again, I said, wow, okay, cool. And then I began to ask some of those uh, in my head questions, like, because as I read it, it said they haven't decided, they have, they have yet to decide if they're going to retry him. So I said to my, and then they said his story was actually on the first season of of another podcast called Serial. Yep. Mm-hmm. So had you, or were you intimately aware of his story? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a little known fact about white women. We're obsessed with true crime. Okay. Not really a little known fact. Okay. <laughs> if you're a white woman, you're obsessed with true crime. Um, and I listened to it probably a year after it came out and followed intimately um, follow his attorneys um, on Twitter. Yeah. So this has been sort of a huge conversation, at least in, in, in my world uh, and and on my circles this week of people who've been like pushing and waiting and excited for, for this day to come for him and his family. Love that. Love that. All right. Awesome. So let's get into some of this week's dialogue. Uh, Too good to let slide. So last week, you know, we used to say this, Jay, we used to always say, whenever we hit the stop button on our recording, a story drops that we're always like, this should have been in this episode. And literally last week when we finished, I tweeted it last week, but I felt like it was just good enough that it deserved a mention this week. But the moment we stopped recording last week, Twilio made the announcement that they were going to go through a round of layoffs. It's unfortunate. Businesses do it. The ebb and flow of growth, product services slow down, things change in the market. It happens. But what the CEO of Twilio, uh, Twilio, is it Twilio or Twilio? Twilio. Twilio. What the CEO of Twilio said was that the team would take an anti-racist approach to how they 
handled the layoffs. And it was the first time that I know of an organization using that particular language around layoffs. It's always been a reduction in force, things change, layoffs, severance, never heard anti-racist approach to layoffs, saying that he just wanted to be intentionally more fair in the process. I loved it. Yeah. So CEO Jeff Lawson said in a letter to employees, the layoffs would be carried out through an anti-racist, anti-oppression lens in order to avoid pronounced impacts on what he calls marginalized groups. Very interesting. Um, I, I will admit I had to kind of sit with this for a couple of days. You sent it to me, I think, or like literally right after we hit the the, the stop button on our record. Um, and I, it's the right thing to do. It, it's when we do kind of blanket layoffs, right? Especially in tech where we don't have a lot of diversity. We have, um, you know, black and brown employees and women being the new hires. A lot of times as we work to diversify that funnel, when you think about sort of old approaches to layoffs, it's always been, you know, kind of first in, first out, um, those kind of approaches. And that will more dramatically impact marginalized groups, especially in tech where we don't have diversity. Um, so I, I think it, it's the right thing to do. It's just, it's, it, I'm waiting to see kind of what the backlash is going to be. Um, and there are obviously also legal implications that go along with that because under the law, you can't negatively impact, let's say white men um, to give additional opportunity for black and brown employees. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. A hundred percent support, a hundred percent in agreement. Um, but, but I don't think this is the end of that story. Yeah, I just I I applauded the boldness of the statement. Yeah. And and said even if in fact there is a bit of backlash, I think the intentions of the team were authentic and genuine and and I appreciated that and I said, "Listen, they're willing to stand in the gate and take whatever yep. approaches them, whatever comes at them." And so um I, I like you and am, am, am going to be watching to see where um, this one goes and whether or not other organizations will follow suit, whether they use the same language or not, whether they will use the same metric or process for evaluating how do we equitably go through our organization and determine who should and and should not be here given the circumstances that we're in right now. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Um, awesome. I found a juicy little thread over on the Twitters, um, courtesy of Hung and recruiting brain food. And this one is all around people having multiple full-time employment. Now, let me just say this to you, Jay. When I started my first recruiting company, I was remote. Um, And so I had walked away from corporate America in 98. I walked away in uh, July, August of 1998. Um, Launched a recruiting company probably a month or so after that, if I'm not mistaken. But in the interim, had had been picked up to do a full-time job. And the job was remote. They were out of Tennessee. 
outside sales. So I've been in a capacity of being a W-2 employee and trying to build what some may have called a business side hustle, something in addition to. I've never been in a position where I've had multiple full-time employers. And there are people in this thread, Jay, that have four full-time jobs. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this uh, came from Talia Goldberg. You can follow her on Twitter at T-A-L-I-A-G-O-L-D, Talia Gold. Um, And she says they stumbled into a wild Reddit community, um, r forward slash overemployed. 80,000 members sharing tips and tricks to simultaneously maintaining multiple full-time jobs. And she says some of it would be impressive, if not deliberately deceptive and unethical. Um, I, I I didn't go down the Reddit rabbit hole, but I did go down the, the comments rabbit hole and all of the screenshots that she put up talking about people who have, in fact, secured four-plus jobs um, who are making, you know, close to 700K a year um, in those full jobs. And, and wow, I mean, that's all I can say. Like the thought of our little side hustle on the on the crazy and the king, which isn't much of a, a side <laughs> hustle, it's just more of a, a passion project. Um, like I can't imagine doing more than what we do now and, and being even remotely sane. Um, you, know, you know what I found? I smiled at one of the comments. I, I like you. I went down some of the comments. One of the guys said that he, he I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, on one of his jobs, he can already tell. And he's been there less than, you know, a month, less than a handful of weeks. And he said, I can already tell on this particular job that they abuse your time. If the meeting is supposed to end at 11, they still find ways to drag the meeting out 5, 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm not even messing around with these folks off the rip. I'm explaining to them we have other obligations and things that we need to do. If the meeting is supposed to end at 11, we need this meeting to end at 11. Now, on the surface, that's that's cool. Like, respect my time. But because we have the insight and we know why he's doing it, because he's got to get on that Slack channel on another laptop to do some work. It was interesting to read. And I found myself in the uh, thread for like 20 minutes just reading some of the comments. And like you said, the screenshots, I I don't know. I don't think I could do multiple full-time jobs and do them well. No, no. I mean, I think there's a, there's a whole big cultural discussion to be had around that. Um, Do you think it's ethical? I don't think it's unethical. You don't, you don't think it's unethical? No. I mean, okay. If, if we're remote, how my time gets used and how, how you get the job done. Um, if you're getting the job done, job gets done. Uh, and, and that's, that's what matters. Um, when we live in a society where we can work and play how, how we choose, how you spend that time is, is really up to you. Um, it, if you're doing the job, you're doing the job. That, that's my opinion. Um, obviously there's some lying and some things that go on with it that make it less savory that just the fact that you have them, uh, I, I've got no problem with, um, you know, especially like, it seems like a lot of people are probably in sales. And so like you meet your quota, you meet your quota. 
Um, that, that's just me. Um, although I do wonder if they have like the little mice that move themselves so they keep your Slack channel awake. Have you seen those? Like, I have not. That's 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 some shady shit right there. <laughs> so wait a minute. There's a there's a technology out that moves your mouse for you, mm-hmm. so that it seems like you're active in your Slack channel. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So I think the big the my big problem is is if they fuck it up for everyone else, right? Those of us who are just actually working one job forty hours a week, um, yeah. don't don't fuck it up for the rest of us with with your plan. No doubt. So have you ever met Josh Burson? Uh, no, I've seen him on stage. You, you've seen him a on stage? Times, he, yeah. He, he, he seems to be on uh, quite a few stages. Every stage, um, yeah. <laughs> so there was an article that he dropped. It's an older article, but he talked about mental health uh, back in uh, August, and he talked about it becoming a business imperative. Yeah. I'm always amazed. Um, I'm always amazed when, when people... When, when people make mentions that sound like revelations. So again, <laughs> top of the, at the top of the show, what did, what did I say? Torrent, I mean, this is not a revelation just because it was talked about in 2004. It's just really a reminder as to why we all are doing this work. I think that people's mental health should have always been a business imperative. Like yeah. it's, it comes with the person, right? Yeah, so this is over at MIT Sloan uh, Management Reviews, and and he the the first line is the most striking um, of the many issues we faced throughout the past two years. Perhaps the most surprising, the most surprising, but important is mental health. It like, dude, you're one of the 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 great thinking minds in our industry, and this is like the most surprising, and it and even. Now that he wrote this, I mean, this is just from August. It's not like it's old um, that that he's just now getting it. I mean, that tells you a lot about the thought leadership, you know, in in our community about how dismissive we've been of, of mental health. Um, I can tell you, you know, it, you and I have had this conversation plenty of times that the the good thing that came out of the pandemic and I'm air quoting um, is that for the first time ever, we're able to have a, a conversation about mental health at work, um, where for a decade, that conversation, when I've tried to open that up with companies, has been um, dismissed, you know, trivialized, if not outright, just like, yeah, no, those people are, are faking it. We're not dealing with it. Um, and so, you know, the good news is, is Josh finally figured out. A lot of us have finally figured it out um, and hopefully not going to fall behind. So so in Josh's defense, and I'm not one to take, you know, necessarily or that he needs me to take his defense. But when I look at the article, it sounds to me like he's reporting back his findings, like people have revealed that mental health now is an issue that they are paying attention to thinking about the, um, um, uh, small business. Is it the chamber of commerce, the, yeah. the, the big or association chamber of commerce where a couple of years ago, they said organizations need to focus more on their stakeholders and not shareholders. And this article right here is it's the two year, 
lag in that statement right there because we know that a number of organizations have failed to focus on the stakeholder. They continue to put their emphasis on the shareholder. And so I saw this article as, you know, one of those where perhaps it's a a bit of uh, push and pull. Perhaps we are asking a better, more right question, thereby getting a better, more accurate answer. And now it being placed in, you know, a report for all of us to read, if you will. I hope so. I hope so. And, uh, you know, we'll again kind of check back and see if this has become a, a permanent change of the pandemic um, or if it's a, it's a swing reaction. Hopefully we are going to see it is permanent. Absolutely right. Uh, and just a quick reminder that uh, Hispanic and Latino Heritage Month actually started on September 15th, runs an entire month, ends on October 15th. And so this is a great time, not a performative time. A great time, I I repeat, not a performative time, but this is a great time for you to amplify and celebrate, have conversations, do things that support your Latin employees, their families, their friends, and their culture. We'll be right back. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. In a flash this week, Amazon plans to raise pay for delivery drivers. It's Amazon's latest bid to retain workers in a tight labor market ahead of the crucial holiday season. The NBA suspended Robert Sarver, the majority owner of the Phoenix Suns, and fined him $10 million over misconduct that included the use of racial slurs. Apparently, remote work is killing Florida, probably some of those multi-job holders, uh, because retirement paradise that Florida has been known to be is seeing a spike in housing costs and sexual harassment training, despite its long-term presence in the workplace, is still heavily reported by both men and women. And since we're talking about sex, sorta, non-binary runners can now compete in the Boston Marathon without having to register in either the men's or women's division. And Uber was hacked a couple of weeks back. A New York Amazon delivery driver rushed into a burning home and tribal leaders arrived at the University of North Dakota last month for a somber and secret task. That task, for three days, they scoured storage rooms, recited prayers, and hauled off boxes. It was a first step in the long process of returning artifacts and the remains of Native American people from the university to the tribes. All right, welcome back. Great in a flash, as always, my friend. Um, So this week, uh, actually late last week, we saw Patagonia's founder, Yvonne Chouinard, and his family gave their entire interest in $3 billion company to a special trust where all proceeds 
will now be used to address climate change. What do you think? So I think it's a good one because Patagonia is and has been a B Corp forever. I believe the company is like 50 years old. And there was a story. um, It really was an interview with the current CEO of Patagonia. His name is Ryan Gellert, G-E-L-L-E-R-T. And Business Insider sat down with Ryan and they asked him a variety of questions. The article talks about how he wrestles with the paradox of outdoor, the outdoor gear makers, uh, good works, their philanthropic efforts, and their intentions not being good enough to justify the company's existence. That's an interesting position to take. He actually feels like the organization, the company, the team, they should be doing more. Cool. Well, it wasn't that part that caught my attention. What caught my attention was the title of the article, Patagonia's CEO Gets Candid, How Sustainability, Diversity, and Social Justice Guide the Beloved Brand. Again, it's an older article, but it is absolutely timely. Like you said, they actually just made the announcement that they are going to turn the entire organization, the company over to a special trust. It's a very, very unique move. And what I want to talk about today, Jay, is we have the sentiment right now floating around us, and, and we've talked about it a couple of times. We've talked about how these folks are upset about critical race theory. I, I go back and look at uh, when the president made the announcement around critical race theory in the federal government, and you and I said on our show, trust me, It's happening right here in the federal government. Give it just a couple of months and it is going to seep in the corporate corridor and we're going to have backlash in corporate corridors around DNI. We see it. We now have the sentiment floating around that companies don't need to be woke, that companies don't need to pursue ESG, environmental sustainability um, and governance, you know, initiatives that they don't need to worry about those things. And so I just thought pulling some of the excerpts from this article would be good for us to talk about, because I think it really comes down to one thing. And that thing is taking action, like doing something, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think a lot of our conversations for these CEOs started in, in the post-George Floyd aftermath. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that was one of the, you know, sort of kickoff questions they asked in this interview, which I found, you know, very compelling. And, um, you know, he talks about coming to grips with his shortcomings and complicity in his role at Patagonia and also, you know, in the ways that his, he manages personal life. And so, you know, you, know you, yeah. you, 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 you actually bring up something really sweet there. That coming to grips piece, when you, I'm going to take you back. I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm going to take you back. You recall uh, my getting up when we were sitting and having some beverages and a person said that they really didn't want their children to lose access to opportunity and advantage and some of the other things. They didn't say it in my presence. They said it in your presence because you shared a number of descriptive characteristics. And so here's the deal. I am very curious when you talk about 
him, Ryan, coming to grips with his shortcomings as you move in conversations. I'm only speaking professionally. No, bump that. I'm as you move in conversations. Are you hearing that? Are are you hearing people saying, "Wow, I missed. I didn't recognize. I was so out of touch. I'm disconnected." Do you hear that often or no? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a 50-50 split. Some people in in my professional world and and in my life, you get the backlash, you get that conversation that I don't want to give up my privilege. I'm going to continue to act in my own best interest and not really, frankly, give a shit about anyone else. Um, And then you get people who have sort of these profound moments of, of enlightenment um, where that you see like a seismic world shift. um, And that sort of, reminds me of what I see um, in in this first sort of mea culpa um, with with the Patagonia CEO, like, hey, like, I just didn't see it. And now I see it. Yeah. And he actually talks about, you know, it being a bit difficult. You know, he says, listen, I've been having some honest conversations with colleagues. And, and in some of these instances, I've gotten some backlash. And and I love his choice of words, backlash because people wanted to give it to him personally or because he was a placeholder. He was a figurehead. He was the person that they had access to. And so because they have access to him, whether he was directly responsible for their pain, their broken promise, the challenge that they have, have had to overcome, endure, um, he had to take that animus. And the way that he talks about it here, it, again, I'm surmising because he doesn't go into detail. I, I would really love to to have a conversation with Ryan Gellert and, and be able to say, go a, la- go a layer deeper on, on that right there. How, like, how did you handle that? You, you know, you often hear me say fatigue and fragility. Were you fragile in those moments? Were you, you know, did you stand tall and just attentive and uh, uh, attentively listen and do that without becoming emotional? And did you walk away and compartmentalize how you were feeling so that you didn't overtake or overshadow or disrupt, dismiss the person's position when they were angry, especially if they were? I would love to have that conversation. You know, Julie, I would love to have that conversation with a number of people that have had to face that challenging scenario of it being uncomfortable, it being courageous. I would love to have a conversation with a number of people that have been placed in that predicament or situation. Yeah, I I think we could all use a masterclass and how to not be angry, how to not sort of go on the the attack, um, so to speak, to try to change minds, but just to listen and find out where those opportunities for change exist. And, you know, unlike the Twilio founder this week, Patagonia really took um, took a stand publicly, right? So they put out an, an acknowledgement statement is what they call it. And it's about, um, you know, here's what we understand to be true, which is that the company has culpability in contributing to systemic racism. And here's what they plan to do about it. Uh, and I think that is also, you know, a profound statement um, for for a publicly traded company to make who are still to this day um, shareholder first. 
Um, you know, let me take, let me let, and let me tell you as I read the article, uh, and I'm gonna come back to that uh, acknowledgement statement. As I read the article, I full disclosure, I've never owned a piece of Patagonia uh, apparel or merchandise, if you will, um, none. So as I'm reading the article, it says that that they developed a lot of wares. Uh, for corporate clients, you could put the corporate logo on said vest or whatever the case may be. Always thought they were, you know, average looking, cool looking, whatever. But he said something in the article. He said, if you have the corporate logo on the piece of the item and you leave that organization, the chances are you're not you're not going to wear that piece of material, that clothing again, because you now work for a different company. Makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world. So what he said was, but if we are a responsible organization, I don't want our merchandise to end up in landfills. I want our merchandise to be repurchasable so that we can repurpose it and put it back in the marketplace. I had no idea that they even did that. Did you know that? Yeah. And in fact, the only Patagonia gear I've ever owned has come from like a vendor, like, you know, just a TA vendor who had nice like jacket, nice luggage, nice whatever um, embroidered, you know, with the, a logo that they were associated with. And I got it through like swag or whatever. So, you know, I always wondered because he put that statement, they did that, what, about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, where you can no longer use Patagonia as as part of a brand package um you can't you can't do that and so that's the reason why and i never knew that that was the reason why i always just thought it was some sort of like corporate statement about making them more of a luxury item or more of a high-end item versus corporate gear so so going back to that acknowledgement statement just you know, a couple episodes ago, we 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 kind of riffed for a moment. We won't do it today, but we riffed for a moment on your surrogate. What would life be like if every figurehead of an organization took responsibility for their organization's past, current? or future participation in DNI efforts. I mean a rhetorical question, not the not one that requires it, but just imagine if every leader said, you know what? We are going to we're going to admit where we had some misgivings, some shortcomings. We are going to take full responsibility for our participation. If in fact any of that participation has been derived from the sweat labor whether it be historical two, three, four hundred years ago, or right now where we are taking advantage of migrants, underpaying them, undercompensating them, um, allowing them to experience, you know, engagements and interactions with ICE people, and we are not supporting them in their fat. Whatever that is, what would life be like if every leader said, "Today's the day that I'm going to make." a declarative statement. You know, earlier this week was National Voter Registration Day. Like it was the day that you're supposed to really work hard to do that. What if every leader said, we're just going to do an acknowledgement statement? I yeah. think the, the, the 
the sky, the clouds might part or something. And pigs might fly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and that's the thing. I think that in our society today is that good people are more cautious about saying things like an acknowledgement statement, like having a historical reckoning where you have people on the other end. You mentioned migrants like Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis who have no problem trafficking um, human beings who've fled their countries in order to come here and, and create a better life and create a better nation um, and and boasting about the way that they treat them and the and the cruelty, you know, being the point. What what's wrong with coming out and saying, hey, you know, we acknowledge that we have a history here, that we have a present, that we have a future, and that we can be both good stewards of our shareholders' investments and be good humans at the same time. I mean, think about it. We just experienced in the last two weeks since you bring up a couple of political figures. We just experienced an administration having to step in and prevent our rail system from collapsing. We just witnessed that. Yeah. And and again, I think if we had leadership that were willing to acknowledge, we're just not doing a good enough job of taking care of our people. Like we know that incremental growth or ongoing growth, continuous improvement is a real thing. We get that. But when you sit back and you look at a list of, of of misgivings by the railroad community in that instance, or um, look at the 15,000 nurses in Minnesota that decided that they wanted to and needed to go on strike uh, last week. It, when, when you just think of the list of, 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 of infractions against these people, I think, you know, having an acknowledge, you know, we, we should work hard. Could Crazy and the King come up with an acknowledgement day for corporate America? Maybe we could pull that off. Okay. Then it won't be a side hustle, my dear. It, no, it, it <laughs> we, we might be we might be a little bit popular and familiar if if the two folks from Crazy and the King could get corporate America to have and celebrate an acknowledgement day on an annual basis. But in all seriousness, I just think that if we had more leaders that were willing to be like Ryan Gellert. Um, and, and again, it's not that I need you to be a copycat version of him, but if you could just find that, find that button inside that says, I'm just going to be honest. It, it's going to cost something. It's going to hurt. We might lose a little bit, but I just got to show up today and I just have to be honest, you know? Yeah. And I think as we close out this this segment, there is one quote from Ryan that I really loved when he was asked, should you be a community activist or a policy wonk as opposed to a corporate CEO? And he says, we need to prosper and we've got to remain dynamic and relevant if we want to see these ideas like the use of recycled materials and circularity scale. We actually need to prove they can be profitable. I love the fact that we use this entire business to accomplish bigger things using the entire business to accomplish bigger things and helping us accomplish bigger things, our sponsor. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. This week in our Her Voice segment, it's where we amplify women that are making moves. And to kick it off, former Tableau Senior Director of Cloud Engineering, Deanna Sousa, has joined the New York Times as a Senior VP and lead for its delivery engineering mission, while Jamira Burley joins Apple as their first worldwide education strategic initiatives lead. Yeah. And Adobe has appointed Nubia Shabaka as Chief Privacy Officer and Chief Cybersecurity Legal Officer. The children's book curator and distributor Literati has hired Carla Ingelbrecht, former Director of Product Innovation at Netflix, as their Chief Product Officer. And let me tell you, I got a whole lot of love for Misty Copeland. Love what she's doing. Love what she's doing. Love what she's doing. She's created a program to bring a bit more diversity to ballet. Shout out to you, Misty Copeland. And finally, we have Netflix has hired Jeremy Gorman as its new advertising chief to bring growth back to its struggling business. Uh, Gorman had compiled a colorful resume of professional and personal accomplishments. While she's best known for turning her previous employer, Snap, into an internet powerhouse, uh, Gorman also played an important role in developing the ad business at Amazon, now the number three player in digital advertising. And Disability Twitter this week, it's where we try to amplify a community that is often not on our radar. This is not how you plan the agenda. Our first tweet comes from Dr. Brenda J. Buck, and she's a real doctor, PhD, Dr. Brenda J. Buck. She actually put up a tweet and she's on Twitter at Science Buck, at Science Buck. Her tweet reads, I was just disinvited to give a talk on my research because I have to wear a respirator for my disability. Tip for others, don't do this. Don't disinvite an individual because they have to wear a respirator or any other accommodation. If you extend the invitation, live out that extension. I wanna just update deeper in the thread. She also shares that the national organization apologized to her. She appreciated their apology. And then she went on to talk about why she wears the respirator. Go out and follow Science Buck for more information. Yeah. And next we have the TEND Project, T-E-N-D Project, which is Embodied Narratives of Disabilities, has announced the launch of a new podcast, Accessibility and Me, which will explore issues related to work and disability. Uh, in their first F episode, they discuss neurodiversity in the workplace with solicitor and advocate Johnny J. Andrews. And the, um, the Siren Naga... Kyrie uh, is the author of the book, The Disabled Hiker's Guide to Western Washington and Oregon. Now, I've never been to Oregon. Um, I have been to, I'm sorry, wait a minute. I've never been to Washington. I have been to Oregon. I've never been hiking. So, um, 
I don't know if it's necessarily a guide for a person like I'm not in for tents and all those other things. However, I'm appreciative of the fact that the Disability Hikers Guide to Western Washington and Oregon is out. It is by Siren Naga Kairi. And that tweet was found by Ali Ridge, A-L-I-I, and the word Ridge, R-I-D-G-E. Great show, Jay. I appreciate you. You look like you are in a non-disclosed um, secret mission place, like soundproof window. It's dark. So I don't know what you're up to. I don't know where you are. I just know that you made it on time for another episode. And I always thank you for having good and rich conversation. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where I am for one time ever, um, but happy to always have this wonderful conversation with you, my friend, and talk about all of the amazing things that are happening in our world. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice. Be a better human. Build better teams, better culture, better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghost. See ya. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.